So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Smarter Vet Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Tom Seco, and I am joined today by a special guest. His name is Josh Weissman with Flourish Veterinary Consulting. And funny, real cool thing about him, he is a beekeeper, which I think he'll get a chance to talk about a little bit more. And a lot of his focus is on the internal health of employees and HR and all of those inner workings of just helping practices run better. Josh, thanks for joining us here today on the episode. Yeah, Tom, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's good. Yeah, this I feel like been a, a long time in the making and this is going to be a great day. So for, without me stealing a lot of your thunder, I'd love sure. for you to just share with us a little bit about you know your firm and how you got started. Could you fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So like, you know, the, the really kind of concise version of, of who we are and what we do. So uh, Flourish Veterinary ex- uh, Consulting exists for, for really for one big purpose. Uh, you know, we believe that all veterinary professionals at all levels within the hospital or organization uh, are worthy and deserving of finding sustainable fulfillment in their work. Uh, you know, we see a lot of the statistics around uh, veterinary professional well-being and the challenges that people seem to be facing in our industry. And more often than not, it seems like our work is depleting us instead of fulfilling us. And we think there's a better way to do it. So, right. so that's what we do is we, we sort of, you know, we pull from scientific research and a lot of evidence-based approaches from a variety of social sciences like applied positive psychology, positive organizational scholarship things of that nature. And we make them tangible, accessible, and digestible in a way that veterinary organizations can implement this specifically through the conduit of what we call positive leadership to cultivate the environments that allow veterinary professionals to really thrive in their work. And and a nice benefit of that is that when when you have that, when you have an environment in which the people at work are really thriving, in that work, by golly, the organization does better. You start to see better patient outcomes, mm-hmm. better client, you know, satisfaction scores, uh, you know, better business outcomes. So it all kind of fits together. That's great. So have you been doing this for quite a long time? What what made you get into this world of consulting? Yeah. So Flourish officially is about two and a half years old. I sort of conceived of it about three years ago. I went through my own interesting path in vet med, as many of us do. I, I sort of stumbled into the community in the late 90s as I uh, got a job as an off-the-street, trained-on-the-job technician at a PetSmart Veterinary Services, which some of your listeners will recall PVS, and some of them will have absolutely <laughs> no idea what that is. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, kind of bounced around several different hospitals and found my way into hospital management and practice ownership in the late 2000s and um, ended up being a partner in a couple of different small animal hospitals and the on-site hospital administrator. And I just, man, I loved it. I really loved it. I loved the game of running a business. Uh, and being an entrepreneur, if you will. And I just love the community. So I really wanted to spread my wings and get involved in a lot of different things. And I did. I tried to do all the things. 
I tried to be a hospital owner and a hospital administrator and a consultant at a new, you know, consulting firm. And I'd gotten hooked up with a startup consolidating group. And I was traveling around the country trying to find different hospitals for them to buy and helping with due diligence work and transition work and some training stuff. And then I started wow. actually doing consulting, like all these different things. And, and it was just way too much. I wasn't doing any of it mm -hmm. super well. And I was doing way too many of the things at once. And I just thought that's what you're supposed to do right you know that's you work your butt off you make as much money as you possibly can that's the american dream and on some level i i really was successful i was making a lot of money i had a ton of opportunities from the outside looking in people were you know would have looked at me and said wow you really kind of did it. it but internally i was miserable and totally unfulfilled and and i eventually i mean i burned out like really truly burned out I think we've all and, been there sometime at some point in our lives. Yeah, yeah, many of us have. And, um, and it, I mean, it, for me, it was really scary and surprising. I've always been, you know, a pretty optimistic guy in general and uh, a go-getter. And to, to be in this state of total overwhelm to the point of quite literally bawling my eyes out over scrambled eggs one morning for absolutely no reason. I had no mm -hmm. idea what was going on. You know, I realized I had to make a change. And in making that change, I had another realization which fits right into why Flourish exists. You know, that the way that I was doing things and the way that I see things happening in VetMed, more often than not, not always, but more often than, than I would like to see, it's, it's just not working. It's just not working. The way that we work ourselves to death to try and micromanage every little thing, every little day. We're in constant survival mode of what can I do to get through today? Sometimes even what can I do to get through this next appointment? Mm -hmm. it, that's not sustainable. And there, there's got to be a better way. And, and there is. And right. so, so that's why Flourish started. So I left everything. I sold my equity. I resigned as hospital administrator. I left the consulting firm. I left the consolidating group and I went back to school and started acquiring a bunch of knowledge and education and just completely dedicating myself to finding that better way. And now I'm dedicated to sharing that better way with the rest of the community. That's fantastic. Well, you, you completely did a, a 180, it seems like. Yeah. Running and gunning and now let's start a business and it's going to focus on completely a little bit different from what you've been doing. I mean, of course, this has some yeah. characteristics, I would imagine, but it's a little bit different from what you were up to all previous years. Yeah, very much. You know, and the nice thing is, is having gone through all those experiences previously, including the like, you know, kind of hitting my own version of rock bottom, I feel like it gives me a perspective and an insight that I can talk to veterinary professionals, I can go into hospitals, I can chat with doctors and managers and techs and CSRs mm -hmm. and speak their language. You know, I, I understand really what's going on in their world. Well, so with all of this, so you are working nationally, or are you concentrated in one state? Can you talk with people all over the place? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm based out of Colorado, but I, I work actually internationally. I've even done some work in Canada and uh, I've been chatting with some group in Denmark and you know wow. things like that. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I can truly, I can provide this work anywhere. The, the nice thing is that it's, it's really based on a lot of human psychology. What, what does it mean for a human being to thrive? And so that's really applicable anywhere. Really cool. Uh, and then of course, in this, you know, very digital and now especially virtual age, I mean, I'm, I'm doing virtual consulting with a large practice in Minnesota and a, a practice in upstate New York. I'm talking to a hospital in Tacoma right now. I can do a lot of work from home to help support these, uh, these organizations. So yeah, I'll work anywhere. To shift gears here a little bit, sure. what would you say in your world of consulting and the things that you're doing, what is one thing that you believe veterinarians struggle with the most? 
You know, I think that veterinarians and veterinary professionals in general, one of the things that we really struggle with, which I think contributes to a lot of our challenges with well-being and our experiences of burnout, is that we're simply trying to accomplish way too much with not enough resources. Hmm. Burnout, when, when you look at what occupational burnout really is, and you kind of distill it down to its basic essence, it really comes down to what is the balance between our perceived resources and perceived demands. And I intentionally use the word perceived because, you know, some of those resources and some of those demands are certainly objective, but many of them are also subjective. It's what we think we have as a resource or what we believe is demanded of us. And when, when those resources match or exceed the demands, that's a sustainable path, right? Okay. When we have more energy or more reservoir to give to, to spend on the demands before us, we can do that and we can do that routinely. When the demands exceed the resources, we start to go into an energy deficit. And that's, that's okay sometimes. We can do that sometimes. Human beings are, are built with an incredible capacity for resilience. So, you know, we can endure a lot of energy deficit, a lot of challenge for a period of time. But when that deficit is sustainable, when it lasts too long, that's when we burn out. That's when we start to experience things like significant compassion fatigue, psychological distress, and we start to feel overwhelmed and want to give up. Makes sense. So, so we have to find ways to bolster the resources and reduce the demands. Hmm. And we're just, we don't do that. We just don't take a lot of time to intentionally work on that. We, you know, we go to work at the hospital in the morning, we look at the schedule and all we can think about is the fire in front of us. Hmm. And we don't do a lot of hard, but necessary and in the long run, incredibly beneficial work of mitigating those things in the long term and building systems. That's the other big thing too is systems. Uh, yeah, creating the systems that, yeah, that allow us to really reduce those demands and, and improve those resources. I love systems and processes. Like I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Our team is always looking for ways to do things more efficiently and free yeah. of time and keep our sanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's super important. So I totally agree with that struggle there. So, you know, if we were to boil down your business and what you're doing for the veterinary profession, what are three things that you help them achieve to become more successful in this world? And you know, how do you help simplify their life in that, in that aspect? Yeah. So, so we actually, we kind of have like a three pillared philosophy or a three pillared approach to, to pretty much everything that we do. And it, the, the components of it are discover, develop, thrive. So, you know, the first thing that we want to do is we really want to discover in this particular context, because we are in the same community. Veterinary medicine is a sort of, you know, a, a profession universal unto itself However, every organization that we walk into has its own unique culture, its own unique norms, its own new unique approaches and, and unique opportunities. And so we, you know, the first thing that we want to do is we want to discover what those are. And so I think that's the one, probably one of the biggest things that any veterinary organization can do better, which is actually measure the experience, the culture and the human experience in the workplace. Measure how our leadership is, what our leadership is, how it's landing on folks, how it's impacting and driving things, how people feel at work, how they're doing at work, those kinds of things. You know, that's something we typically do anyway in vet med. You know, teaching veterinary organizations to, to measure 
the cultural experience so that you can properly manage it. And then from that, we'll move to the development phase, which is uh, looking for those gaps, which are really the opportunities to take what the science tells us works and create tangible, routine, systemic things that, that you can apply within that organization to help elevate those numbers. So if, you know, if the liver is struggling, we're going to apply some sort of an intervention to help bolster the function of the liver. We do the same thing within the practice from a, you know, a positive leadership and positive organizational perspective. And then from that, we'll move into the thrive phase, which is actually building these things into habits. So how, how do we make these habitual so that they actually do become part of the cultural norm here so that in the long run, you, you have those resources increasing, you have those demands reducing, you become a more efficient practice that people actually enjoy working at. Habits are important. I would definitely yeah. say once you, you know, you've got uh, goals are just dreams without deadlines. And yeah. at yeah. the same time, when you don't create a, a habit to actually take what you've talked about and then start applying yeah. it consistently, it almost seems like it's been a, for lack of better terms, a waste of time. It's like, yes. why, did I, why did I spend all that time doing it not to create that habit? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, what we say, what we write in our, uh, you know, policy handbook or employee handbook is not what our culture is. Our right. habits are our culture. And that's something really big even too. And I would say on our side with our business, it's like always looking at those habits, looking at the the culture that's being created. And of course, yeah. you got a book that you read from, but then at the same time, it's like, I've always found it very interesting when you ask ask all the different people inside of a, a practice or a company and you say, okay, so do you know what our, our vision is and what our mission is? Right, right. And the amount of people that actually sit here and they're like, I have no idea. Or if they yep. do have some idea, it's something completely different. Everyone has something different to say. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. If you're not building the habit of routinely exploring, celebrating, critiquing, looking for, pointing out those cultural pillars, uh, you know, your organizational identity, what your purpose statement is, your vision, your mission, your core values, your behavioral indicators. If you're not building those habitually into the everyday activity of your, of your business, it's not the culture and people lose sight of it. The problem is, is that when you're not intentionally building culture, it's still happening. <laughs> yes. Culture either happens intentionally or accidentally. Mm -hmm. And when it happens accidentally, you're losing control over it. And more often than not, accidental cultures do not contribute to a thriving workplace. Right. Well, so with all of these, if we were to go back through the three of them were, what was it? Discover? Discover, develop, thrive. Discover, develop, and thrive. So- yeah. You know, is, is there some actions or some things that people could actually take from, from listening right now that they could yeah. actually say, and like, if I were to try to do a load of these things on myself before I am, before I talk to you, yeah. what, what could I do? Yeah. So there's a couple things that I would recommend. They somewhat overlap, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm actually going to ask you, would you like me to focus on something that's a little bit more long-term or would you like me to focus on something that might be a bit apropos to the sort of challenges that we face right now with a global pandemic? Interesting. Let's say long-term. Long-term. All right. One thing that I'm a huge advocate for, I call them uh, connect and collaborate sessions. Most people would know them as the, the old cliche of the one-on-one. -on -one. 
you know, a lot of organizations do one-on-ones. Not many of them do them very effectively. And, and we know from, from a lot of uh, interesting social science research that there are very effective ways to do it. So I'll tell you that as a leader in an organization, whoever is most directly tied to you, you can call them reports if you want to, whatever. But if you're a hospital owner of 30 people, it's not necessarily going to be all 30 people. It's going to be the people that you most closely interact with. And then you'll empower others to, to do this with the rest of the team but a routine minimum of monthly formalized structured meeting with every single person that reports to you with the intention of connecting with them and collaborating in supporting their success. That kind of a system, that kind of a structure over time vastly improves productivity, efficiency, job satisfaction, decreases turnover. I mean, all of the kind of outcomes that we want to see within an organization. Now, I recognize that that's a big ask. When I go into a hospital and I tell a hospital manager, all right, so you've got a team of seven that, that directly report to you. You're going to spend an hour with each of them every month. They're like, uh, that's... <laughs> seven more hours of work you're telling me to mm-hmm. do. They're terrified, right? They think it's crazy. I'll tell you about a really fascinating piece of research in which a system like this was implemented across, I believe it was 13 different industries and I can't remember how many total organizations, but they went into these organizations, they trained them on this one-on-one system uh, similar to what I advocate for and, and then they put it into place and they got a lot of that pushback. But Uh, The organizations committed to it and they tried it and they saw, you know, within about three months, like really, really substantial improvements in productivity, efficiency, and all sorts of uh, subjective employee outcomes. But what was really fascinating was after the 18 month experiment, they surveyed all the managers and they asked them, did this system increase, decrease, or not affect the amount of extra time that you had to do your own work every month. So they basically asked them to measure, how did this impact your time? Hmm. And the average response, the average response across all of these different industries and organizations was that it increased the amount of free time that the manager had by seven hours a month. Interesting they gained almost an extra day of productivity by committing to this kind of a program. That's awesome. So basically they committed to doing this. They were concerned of spending seven more hours, but they actually freed up seven hours. It actually freed up seven hours. Yes. So great. And you might ask why, and they did ask why they didn't actually research the why. So there there isn't formal studies around this, but there's a lot of pretty, you know, well-educated guesses. And one thing in particular that the managers talked about in the sort of qualitative data was that, you know, I stopped getting interrupted. Hmm. I stopped getting the knock, knock, knock on my door 15 times during the day because I'm meeting with these people. They know that they're going to have this time with me. I'm genuinely checking in with them. I know what they're up to. They know what I'm up to. They understand the goals and expectations. I've provided them the support they needed. The time in between, they're autonomous now. They're empowered to do the work that they need to do. They don't bug me. I can get my work done. That's great. Yeah, I, I can right. definitely get that. It's like having the open door policy and people just keep knocking on your door all day yeah. asking you questions. Like when do you when do you get your own stuff done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which which by the way, it, you know, that's what I often see in, in in hospitals. One of the biggest complaints I hear from managers is how do I get my team motivated? And when Stop I Stop bugging when, you, right? Right. Yeah. And and that's what they're really talking about. A right. lot of times they're talking about, gosh, they just keep bugging me. How can I get them to feel like they can just do things on their own? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem is that if you're not creating a formal system that empowers people with autonomy, 
then what you unintentionally do is you build learned helplessness. You build a culture in which right. people feel like I have to go to the boss for everything. I see it. I definitely yeah. get it. This is all great stuff today, Josh. Thanks. I appreciate you sharing this. Let's say someone wants to talk to you further about this and they're like, well, we want to implement this. How, how would someone get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. So uh, certainly my website, there's a couple different ways you can get there. The long version is the full name of the organization, flourishveterinaryconsulting.com. You can also find us at just flourish.vet, flourish.vet. Good. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So you can just look up Josh Weissman on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a pretty active Facebook page as well for Flourish Veterinary Consulting. And then you can just email me directly with questions at josh at flourishveterinaryconsulting.com. I'm, I'm always uh, happy to chat with folks, uh, set up Zoom meetings or get on the phone and see what I can do to support you. Good. Is there, is there any charge for them to set up a time to talk to you? No, no, we'll do a free discovery call with anybody. Uh, cool. And if you go to the website, yeah, there's a button where you can just, it links right to my Calendly and, and you'll be able to schedule that with ease. Awesome. So um, one last question to ask you here. Yeah. On a complete funny note, yeah. if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it yeah. be? That's, that's a really good one. And, and I got to tell you, it, it changes all the time. So right now, <laughs> okay. Right now, which it's which is funny because you know I so I, I want to preface this by saying you know for folks who haven't seen me I'm a very active guy I play indoor soccer you mentioned beekeeping my wife in a garden you know we'll occasionally hike we have a, a gym in our basement we weightlift uh, five days a week so I'm a very active guy and part of the reason why I try and burn a lot of calories is because I have an unbelievable sweet tooth. Uh, uh, so I am currently obsessed with crumble cookies. I don't know if you've heard of this. I have. Yeah, C-R-U-M-B-L for those of you who haven't. If there was a way to make crumble cookies calorie free without changing anything about the taste, I would eat crumble cookies every day for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, the like the low calorie cookies that they have are like 650 calories a cookie. And they have one, there's one. So one of the, the flavors this week is a cotton candy cookie, which is just out of this world. It's so good. It's yeah. like 1100 calories. Yikes. For the whole cookie. So I'm like, I eat like literally a sixth of it every day. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I, just, I mean, they tell you what the daily recommended intake is 2000, of course, depending on who you are and everything else, right, but right. you're eating like over, over half of what they recommend in calories, but I'm sure yes. <laughs> but calories dude, either, right? Uh, sometimes, sometimes I just got to indulge with a little crumble. It, That's cool. So good. So yeah. good. I love it. I've, I've have a sweet tooth myself. I'm a big fan for like dark chocolates and nice eat a lot of those and it's dangerous if i if i have them in the house so uh-huh i get it <laughs> well good well this is this has been a blast today i've really enjoyed our conversation and thanks again for joining us yeah thank you so much it's been a joy chatting with you fantastic well if anyone if you want to reach out to josh please feel free to go back in the episode for his contact if not it's also going to be in the description uh, and on the same note uh, if you enjoyed today's episode please make sure to if you whatever channel you listen on listen to this episode on give us a rating write us a review it really would help us out a lot this is tom seco wishing you a lifetime of financial success don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter by subscribing you'll be the first to know about upcoming race approved ce webinars podcast releases short presentations and articles that we publish make sure to like us on facebook follow us on linkedin and subscribe to our youtube channel
CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Submission number 2023-151790 expires February of 2025.